Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your ophthalmology OCAPS and Board of View podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Pau. Just a reminder that these episodes are not meant for medical advice, just for medical education. Each week, we take a high yield topic and talk about the why and the how. What are we talking about this week, Andrew? This week, we're talking about the Langerhans histiocytosis, and it's meant to be the second part of our twofer about these sort of histiocytic disorders in general as they apply to ophthalmology. So last week, the main thing was juvenile xanthogranuloma, as well as some of the adult xanthogranulomas. All of those xanthogranulomas are considered the non-Langerhans histiocytoses. So today we'll talk about those that are Langerhans histiocytoses. Yeah. And maybe just as a quick refresher to go into what a histiocyte even is, and again, Histiocytosis is a pro- abnormal proliferation of this mysterious histocyte. Basically, it's a cell derived from the monocyte lineage in tissue, and they normally should be in blood or whatever. And past that, I'll say different texts say different things. So some papers and textbooks say that only macrophages are histiocytes. And others say that things like dendritic cells can also be histiocytes. Uh, we'll just say for our purposes, don't even sweat that details, those, that level of detail. The Langerhans histiocytosis doesn't even really come up too much in ophthalmology. We're really just talking about this because it could pop up on a few very unfair feeling test questions. Yeah. You know, they're, they're like macrophage dendritic cell type things that end up in the tissue as we reviewed kind of more at length in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. And the big thing mainly is for an ophthalmology resident, don't mix up Langerhans cells with Langhans giant cells. Yeah. Yeah. Those are very, Langhans is what you'll remember from med school for things like sarcoid. Langerhans has really nothing to do with that. Right. So what's special about Langerhans cells? So the, the thing about Langerhans cells is that I feel like people keep moving the goalposts as to what they even are. I mean, first, poor Dr. Langerhans looked at it under a microscope and was like, this kind of looks like a dendritic cell. But then how is it different from any other dendritic cell? I guess later on, people just say, uniquely, it expresses certain proteins that you can find on immunohistochemistry. We're not even going to talk about what those are. And there's characteristic features on electron microscopy showing all these things that are called Birbeck granules, B-I-R-Beck, Birbeck, I don't know. Again, don't sweat that small stuff, but of all the things that, you know, you might be held to your, with your feet over the fire for, that's probably the most characteristic thing to remember it by. And where do they show up? That might be a little bit more relevant to your ophthalmologist. Yeah. Uh, so think of it around skin or skin like mucous membrane things around the eye. So they show up in the conjunctival epithelium. They show up at the corneal epithelium also, actually, and usually that's just at the periphery or kind of limbal periphery of the cornea, but they will migrate to the central cornea if there's corneal insult, and as to how that happens, you probably don't need to worry about that either. Aside from that, it also shows up on skin epidermis and also the buccal mucosa of the inside of your mouth, uh, gingival mucosa, also genital mucosa too. Hmm. So basically, maybe we can remember these as dendritic cells that can become involved with the eye because they can live in the conjunctival and corneal epithelium. Right. Although, 
even though that's kind of where they normally live, the disorders that we're going to talk about today, the, I think, three subtypes of the Langerhans histiocytosis, have a lot of bony involvement in them. And in fact, bone and eye findings kind of define all of them. So if something's coming up with bone and eye involvement, think of maybe a Langerhans-type histiocytosis. Okay. So in other texts, there's another, well, I guess maybe kind of more historical text, there's another name for Langerhans cell histiocytosis. What is that name? Ah, thanks for reminding me. They used to call this histiocytosis X, and just the huh. letter X, like as if we're all back in the 80s and we're watching, you know, uh, Saturday morning TV shows again. Moving on to just the subtypes of possible things that you might find in an ophthalmology question on yeah, a test. And there's three to know about, right? Mm-hmm. Start us off with the first one, Andrew. Uh, so the first one is called unifocal eosinophilic granuloma of the bone. And that mouthy thing, long thing. Uh, a lot of the other, a lot of them have multiple names, like eponyms and stuff. This one does not. It, it's mostly characterized as just, there's a problem. It's uh, around a bone, but it's just in one place. So unifocal is the character, like the defining word in this long-winded name. Unifocal, eosinophilic granuloma of the bone. Uh, as for what exactly it is beyond, you know, that it involved bones, can you tell us a little bit more, Ben? Sorry. <laughs> so they are bony lesions, and they can involve the orbit, and that's really how it may become relevant to an ophthalmologist. You can basically have a granuloma that involves the orbital bones, you know, like the superior temporal orbit or the sphenoid wing. It can definitely affect other bones too, like the skull, ribs, long bones. So how, how can that actually present? Well, it presents as relapsing episodes of orbital inflammation. So you should keep this in your differential. If you see a patient who has, you know, kind of an orbital inflammatory looking picture, the one that was way more common is infectious orbital cellulitis in a child. But sometimes through their clinical course, it becomes clear it's not infectious. And sometimes we attribute these to these so-called nonspecific orbital inflammation syndromes. But one thing on your differential, when you see a child with um, especially unilateral orbital inflammation is one of these Langerhans histiocytoses, unifocal eosinophilic granuloma of the bone. So in general, you know, this stuff can happen at any age, um, but the younger you are when you get it, uh, the more dismal survival is. Although in unifocal eosinophilic, of course, it's only just in one spot. So the prognosis for this, of course, it's better than the other ones. But uh, they can happen when you're young. And in general, uh, the younger you are, especially under age two, the worse survival is. Yeah. So one thing that can help you differentiate whether or not they have this Langerhans histiocytosis is, if, you know, if they have the orbital signs like a painful eye, it's a, some proptotic, maybe there's some imaging that shows uh, orbital inflammation. Something that's different that would be shown is on CT scan, you'd also have sharply demarcated osteolytic lesions. Um, you know, again, usually kind of in the, the, the orbital bones, the orbital sphenoid wing. So if you have an orbital inflammatory looking picture, but they also have osteolytic lesions, then you can start to consider things like 
this subtype of Langerhans histiocytosis. Yeah. And what again, we're, oh, yeah. we're starting off with the nicest one, I guess, the one with the best prognosis. And it's actually pretty responsive to a lot of kind of treatments, including just doing nothing, observing it. But if you have to, you can excise it. And uh, steroid administration and even low-dose radiation therapy can be helpful. But it's such a rare kind of thing and such a zebra that definitely you'll be talking about it with your attendings if you ever see one in real life. Yeah, don't just throw out steroids or, or whatnot <laughs> yeah. if you suspect or think that a patient might have this. But there we are. Yeah. So okay. let's move let's, on to the next one. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us the name of the next one, Ben? Okay. So we just talked about unifocal eosinophilic granulum of the bone. This one's a multifocal eosinophilic granulum of the bone. And it has this other like kind of eponymic name that may come up in your text and such. Do you want to tell us who were the three doctors that had originally described it? <laughs> yeah, this uh, always makes me think of a fairy tale for some reason. Hand Schuller Christian disease. Yeah, I wonder why that sounds <laughs> like it may be related to a fairy tale. I don't know. But, yeah, <laughs> Hand Schuller um, Christian. But I think for tests, we only really need to know multifocal eosinophilic, eosinophilic granulum of the bone. Well, I just caution you against it because I can't say much detail about when I encountered this on a test before, but I don't think the new terminology was one of the options available to me. Well, excellent. Okay, that's why we're going to mention all these <laughs> silly little eponyms. Right. So what is, what is um, how is this different from unifocal, Andrew, besides being multifocal? Uh, well, aside from it just being more disseminated, you're right about that, multifocal for sure, it is more aggressive, and mm. it also usually pops up between the ages of two to five. One other unique thing about it is it's got this weird association with diabetes insipidus. So potentially, if you saw a test question about people with like weird, you know, orbital signs, proptosis, ptosis, periorbital swelling, all that stuff, as well as bone issues, other parts of their body, like, you know, I don't know, and just peeing all the time. It might be Hanschiller Christian disease or multifocal eosinophilic granuloma, blah. There's that random tidbit that may get you a test question, right? Who knows? Am I totally off base about that, Ben? Peeing all the time is diabetes insipidus, right? It's yeah. Been well, that's, such a long time. That's, that's diabetes and insipidus is if the pee doesn't taste sweet. Thank you. Oh, uh, I don't so, recommend just right. tasting your patient's pee. Not in uh, 2021. No longer a legitimate medical maneuver. Um, well, it's no longer a recommended medical maneuver. Oh, jeez. It could still have diagnostic value, but we won't go there. If you were I on a desert anymore. island. <laughs> um, so, you know, otherwise the imaging is what you, you know, is not super different, except it's, you know, multifocal osteolytic lesions on CT scan. And uh, is the treatment, what, what recommended treatments are there for it, Andrew? Uh, chemotherapies, hmm. uh, full stop. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. The prognosis supposedly for all those chemotherapies is pretty good. And our books do not go into any more detail than that. So let's take that as a little thank goodness thing. Okay. What's the last subtype? So, you know, seems like we always save the worst for last. And yep. uh, this is the worst. Its new official name is diffuse soft tissue histiocytosis. But its eponym is letterer Sue disease. And that's, I don't know. 
Um, S-I-W-E, Sue. Sui? Sorry, Dr. Sui, Sua. Sue, yeah, apologies. You also described the worst of the Langerhans-Hestiocytosis. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know why. I, Sue always makes me think of the word ew, like E-W-U, like a bleeding lamb and uh, mm-hmm. bleating lamb. And for some reason, I associate that with the worst. <laughs> Sorry, lambs. Uh, <laughs> Sorry to all the lamb listeners out there. <laughs> I don't, and I don't know why. Sorry, and I don't know why that's helpful. It's just with my weird brain. Good luck to the rest of you. But uh, this—the reason it's the worst—is it doesn't just deal with the bone, potentially orbital bone, but it goes to soft tissue, visceral organs, also like the liver or the spleen, and. I don't know why those in particular seem more like lamby soft things to me. But oh lord, if <laughs> someone needs to like eat some mutton tonight or something, so it's got lamb on the mind. That or I need a therapist. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's that. We won't go into psychopathology oh, for years this uh, episode. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it can give you the same orbital signs. It's just way worse because it affects the soft tissues. And treatment is also chemotherapy, just like in multifocal. Eosinophilic granuloma, but the, unfortunately, the prognosis is worst. And goes to show, you know, they've got stuff around their soft tissue organs. So yeah, it makes sense. It's worse. Yeah. Now, I, I re- if anybody wants any extra credit in looking through this stuff, I highly recommend against actually looking in the primary literature for it, because then you'll get so demoralized in finding out that these three things that we outlined for you are actually getting reclassified around in multiple different categories with what looked to be a whole other slew of different things. This episode is admittedly sort of a esoteric episode. This is as far as we should go and consider this the limits of ophthalmic knowledge base fundamentals. Yeah, for for the for the, your resident our ophthalmic pathology and plastics fills out there, please have have fun learning more about it. Uh, yeah, we, we're, we're, we're not turning back this as yeah. far as we go. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Eyes4Ears with the number four. And we've got our website, Eyes4Ears.com also. If you like to support the podcast and our efforts, then a rating review on iTunes or wherever you found us is really helpful. And uh, yeah, we're releasing the this episode, I think, around the time the new Redson starts. Sorry that it's oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> a bit esoteric, but you know, eventually you'll have to learn this, so... Uh, we will recommend more of our buddy call episodes if you're a, a new listener for us. But uh, yeah, we wish everyone the best of luck with the new year. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.